Um, we preached this sermon last week at Faith Bible Fellowship Church. We're going through the Gospel of Luke, but we're going to take a break from Luke and actually go into the book of Colossians today. Uh, Colossians chapter 3 is our passage, verses 1 through 4. And so that's where we're going to be in Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4 is our text. And I hope you're encouraged today. The title of the message is Keep Your Head in the Clouds. Keep Your Head in the Clouds. Colossians 3, 1 sure this does it. All right. We good? The audio is good? All right. Praise the Lord. Starting in verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is the word of the Lord. God, we thank you. We ask, Lord, that you will be with us. Help me to be faithful. Help us to listen faithfully, that you will be glorified. We know that your word is to encourage, exhort, rebuke. It's to bring correction, training in righteousness that we will be well equipped for the work that you've given us. So God, would you do that today? Would you help us gaze upon your beauty and know the worth? So help us today. Help us to look to you. Help us, oh God, to know that you are alive and well. Help us to be encouraged, to be strengthened. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, praise the Lord. So real quickly, uh, just to let you know, since we haven't been in the book of Colossians, it's important to know some information on it. The book of Colossians was written somewhere between 58 and 62 AD, and it, it's one of Paul's prison epistles. The prison epistles include Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Now, they were written by Paul when incarcerated in his, his first Roman imprisonment where he spent two years under house arrest. And the purpose of the letter seems to be that a heresy actually arose in Colossae. Some people call it the Colossian heresy. In the first part of the letter, you'll notice that he deals with this heresy by giving a clear view of who Christ is. Paul begins to give this cosmic understanding of Christ. So he's really promoting a Christology, this big view of who Jesus is that deals with what they are facing. Colossians 1, 15 to 20. Let's turn there real quick. Colossians 1, 15 to 20. Colossians 1, 15 to 20. It says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. 
He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Big picture. Paul establishes the truth of the cosmic Christ who reconciled to himself all things. And all things were created through him and for him. Afterward, Paul warned the believers in Colossae about not being deluded by plausible arguments or speeches that seek to persuade people from the faith. See this in chapter 2, verse 4. So what arguments actually came up that sought to persuade people away from the faith? Well, we see in this book, number one, philosophy and empty deceit. Erroneous teaching that would send someone away empty-handed, making it vain and unfruitful. There was teaching that sought to leave people empty. Second, Paul warned them not to be captive by human tradition, the elemental spirits, supernatural powers that do not accord with Christ. Chapter 2, verse 8. Number three, Paul continued to warn them about passing judgment Passing on judgment on issues of food, drink, festivals, new moon. The festival which marked the consecration of God of each new month in the year. Number four, aestheticism, worship of angels, details about visions. These things tried to persuade them that Christ was not enough for their salvation. I know there are some out there that are all about visions. All about these things that are happening. Seeking to persuade you from focusing on Christ. As if Christ is not enough. I, I don't need healing. I don't need deliverance to know that Jesus is a healer and a deliverer. In other words, results or things that happen or whether I live, whether I die, whether I get healed. It, it's irrelevant to who God is. I don't need a healer. I don't need someone to come and call, call themselves apostle to know that I serve the great apostle, Jesus Christ. Amen. Don't need that. These things try to persuade us to focus on the man who's healing, the man who calls themselves apostles, which I don't believe there are any today, by the way. These men seek to seek your attention on them. Setting your gaze upon them, on their ministry, giving them money. It was no different here. No different in the New Testament scriptures where there were things coming for your attention. Taking your focus away on what Christ has done. That's why Colossians 2, 20-23 says, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world. By the way, Colossians 2, 20-23 if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and aestheticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value and stopping the indulgence of the flesh. You see why Paul needs to give them a big picture of who Christ is? 
Because these things are tempting. These things will try to persuade you to think that they're enough to stop you from sinning. This begs the question, what can stop the indulgence of the flesh? What can keep us from competing philosophies that seek to persuade us from the faith? This is where I think the text answers this question for us. Three points for us today. Point number one, seeking Christ. Verse one, seeking Christ. Point number two, setting your mind on Christ. Verses two and three, setting your mind on Christ. Verses two and three. And number three, showing up with Christ. Verse four, showing up with Christ. Some of y'all know what that means. Point number one, seeking Christ in verse one. Verse one begins with conjunctions. That's meant to actually continue Paul's previous thought. Therefore, as one translation puts it, if you have been raised, raised is actually plural. I'm learning this from my Greek classes, y'all. I'm paying for this stuff. It's coming in handy. I'm really digging the Lexham English Bible that correctly said it this way. If you have been raised together with Christ, Seek the things that are above. Paul had talked already about how believers are raised. He told us in Colossians 2 verses 11 and 12. Where he said, in him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. By putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith. Raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So believers are raised together with Christ through faith. Not by philosophies. Not by teachings. Not by traditions. Not by practices of eating right foods, drinks, and festivals. Not by aestheticism, self-discipline. Not by the worship of angels. Not by details of visions. These practices, Paul says, are earthly and demonic since it seeks to persuade us away from the truth that we have been raised together with Christ through faith. What does faith mean? Faith means trust. We are trusting in an already completed work. Paul talks about this in verses 13 and 14 of Colossians 2. He says, in you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made a lot together with him, having forgiven us, some, all our trespasses. How? Verse 14, by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. To God be the glory. We should be the most freest people on the planet. We were raised with Christ through faith in the work Jesus did in setting aside legal demands and nailing the record of death that stood against us to the cross. It is because of being raised with Christ that we are to, as he says in our text, seek the things that are above. Seek the things that are above. Seeking does not precede being raised. Seeker sensitive church. 
They had it backwards. No one seeks God. God is the one who saves. God is the seeker. He found me. I didn't find him. I was fine out in the world. I was doing me, man. I was chilling. But God knew I was lost. Seeking does not precede being raised. When we're raised with Christ, we're given the means to seek, to worship, to pray. It is because we are raised with Christ that we seek. Seeking Christ and the above things is the fruit and evidence of a raised life that God can only accomplish in Christ. We who were dead in our trespasses, God made alive together with him. We are raised with Christ because of what Christ has done. Forgiving us of all our trespasses and sins, this results in seeking him. Praise the Lord. Seeking here communicates striving for, devoting effort to. It is a desire to possess, which, by the way, cannot happen without first being raised with Christ. Have you been raised with Christ through faith here today? If so, then seek Christ. Seek Christ. Seek the things that are above. Keep your head in the clouds where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Where is Christ? It's at the right hand of God. In the heavenly places, Ephesians 1.20 talks about this, that he's seated at the right hand of God. Notice that Paul speaks of Jesus as being seated. God, you know, Jesus, now when, uh, <laughs> when Stephen was being stoned, he said he saw Jesus stand up, standing at the right hand of God, some scholars kind of say that, you know, Stephen's faith caught the attention of the Son of God that he stood up from his seat and was like giving him props for what happened. But we know that he's sitting, and that this is significant. He's seated because the sacrificial atoning work of his priesthood is over. Priests didn't sit in the tabernacle. There was no throne for them to sit on. But there was one in heaven because the work would be done. Hebrews 10, 11 through 14. And every pre... Hebrews 10, 11 through 14 for you note takers. I'm thinking about (laughs) y'all. Hebrews 10, 11 through 14. Meditate on this. And every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. Oh, man, verse 12. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. This puts to rest the need to earn or work for our salvation through philosophies, through teaching, traditions, practices of eating foods, aestheticism, worship of angels, details about visions. All competing views that seek to persuade believers of the finished work of Christ are worthless, unable to give the hope necessary to persevere. Jesus sat down at the right hand of God as our priest. Because the work for our salvation is finished. Man, I could stop there. 
I know some of y'all are like, yeah, man, I need to eat downstairs. No. We still got much to go, saints. The result is that we who have been given salvation have been set free from the bondage of sin. What can stop the indulgence of the flesh? Salvation. Faith in Christ who raised us from being dead in our sins. Believing in Christ, trusting in him, seeking him is how we are to avoid the passions of our flesh. You ever ask yourself that? Why do I keep struggling? Why do I keep going back to the same sin? Well, it's because somehow, some way, in your heart, you're not convinced that Christ is enough. I tell people, if you're struggling with sin, worship the Lord. Pray. Seek his face. It's hard to seek his face, worship him, and then come over here and start tripping. When you're stuck here and your mind is here and your heart is here, it's hard for sin to pull you from that. Keep your head in the clouds where Christ is. My salvation, which brings about my pursuit of Christ, is how I can avoid temptation and competing philosophies that seek to persuade me from the faith. I am to seek Christ in the scriptures. I am to seek Christ in prayer. I am to seek Christ when I worship. I am to seek Christ in the fellowship of the saints. If you're here for people, you're here for the wrong reason. If you're here because we got air conditioning, you're in the wrong place. We got air conditioning, by the way. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Seeking entails being faithful, which comes from a desire that comes from Christ, which, by the way, is mocked by those with a carnal mind. The world mocks faithfulness to Christ. Seeking Christ is also challenged by the passions of the flesh, the elemental spirits of the age. These things seek to push us to seek earthly things, which is, by the way, after our text. Paul says in Colossians 3, 5 through 10, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Now, verse 7, and these you two once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. When seeking Christ, saints, we can avoid temptation by setting our minds on heavenly things, things of eternal significance. How do we properly see Christ? It's by setting our minds where Christ is. That's our second point, setting your mind on Christ, verses 2 and 3. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Look upward and take careful consideration of things that are above. Acknowledge what's most important. Come to terms with what you will think about. Then fix your mind on the things that are above. In other words, think about your thinking. You ever think about your thinking? You ever think about your thought life? The preoccupations in your mind? 
Does it reflect what God commands here in our text? This is an imperative. This is a command to set our minds on things that are above. He's not asking you. He's telling y'all to do this. This is how we seek Christ. Paul addressed believers in Colossae in uh, chapter 1, verse 21, about how they were once alienated and hostile in mind towards God, how it is a sensuous mind, a mind fixed on carnal things that is puffed up without reason. Chapter 2, verse 18. This is a command. This is an imperative to think and set our minds on things that are above where Christ is. If not, saint, we will default to what is earthly. We are to set our minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Paul is, Paul is telling them to avoid thinking or fixating and acknowledging the earthly that takes us away from fixating our focus on Christ. Not doing this will result in what he had warned about earlier. Without Christ's finished work in view, we will attempt to keep right standing with God with our own efforts. That's why you don't feel worthy when you go to God in prayer. That's why you struggle to come to church. That's why you, you ever wonder, why don't I have a decent prayer life? Maybe there's something in your heart that's off. Maybe the focus shouldn't be on what you're doing wrong, but on what God in Christ has done right. If not, you won't survive the Christian life. Listen, this right hand of God is significant in our text. It's a figure of speech that is meant to say that God has ultimate power and authority. And this is where Christ sits. Thinking about this helps us when we think we need to attain right standing with God through our efforts or competing views. Paul wanted to guard believers from earthly things that could distract them with the life of putting on what he has said to put on in Colossians 3, 12 to 15, where he says, put on then as God chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. How do we do this? Seeking Christ, keeping your head in the clouds, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience come from seeking Christ. Remember what we talked about with the Pharisees. Why were they so cold and so self-righteous about the loss? They didn't have Christ. John, the apostle, was the one at kind of just laying with Christ right there, knowing that this is the God-man. He spent time with Jesus, and that produced in him one of the greatest gospels that we had, the Gospel of John. Where he started in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is God. Time with the Lord will produce these qualities. We are to be a community who have been convinced of the gospel. The gospel is the good news that thwarts every workspace system. When, when was the last time the gospel stirred your heart? Have you been, been convinced of it? Is your life in pursuit of Jesus? Do you hold close to your heart what he has done at the cross? Why is it like pulling teeth to make you, hey, you know, you should lift your hands and lift your voice. God is good. Yeah. 
I think people are afraid of the gospel because it's an offense. It's an offense to those who are perishing. It's an offense to those who are earthly and blind to the one who sits at the right hand. The gospel speaks of things that are above so that we can deal with earthly things. Now, there was a lie, uh, me growing up in the church in the past, where people said this. You probably heard this as well, that you can be so heavenly minded that you are of no earthly good. You ever been told that? You can be so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good. Let me tell you, that's demonic. The Bible speaks against that. On the contrary, it says that to be of earthly good, we must set our minds on things that are above. That's how we survive. I don't want to think about my situation right now. My situation is jacked up right now. It's no good. But what is good is Christ seated at the right hand of God. This lie is more about what you do and can do and have done over what Christ has done. So saints, we ought to be a community of faith convinced of the gospel which can only happen when we fix our gaze on Christ who is above all, seated at the right hand of God the Father. So in order for us to be a roughly good, we must seek Christ and his glory in all we do. Do you seek Christ? Do you seek Christ in the preaching of his word? Do you look for Jesus? Do you? Is Christ being glorified? Are the scriptures being faithfully preached? Do you seek for Christ in the fellowship of the saints? Do you? Do you just come to church because it's traditional? Do you come in pursuit of Christ in fellowship? Pursuing someone to encourage. Pursuing someone who's having a bad day and say, brother, sister, remember what Christ has done. You pursue Christ in prayer. Fervent prayer. Worship. Do you pursue Christ in that? Do you seek Christ in the reading of his word? Now there's debate whether how to interpret the Old Testament and the New. Whether, you know, Christ is actually, you know, blatantly told about and you know, this, this uh, Christological lens of the Old Testament. I look for Jesus in the Old Testament, y'all. I do. And some of my dispensationalist brothers are bothered by that somehow. You know? Some people in the body, they, they, they're bugged out by that. But I do what Jesus did in Luke 4 and Luke 24. Where he opened up his Bible and said, let me tell you what the law and the prophets said about me. So when I go to my Old Testament, I'm like, where's Jesus? Where's he at? I'm worshiping in my reading. I'm looking for Christ. I'm looking for what the word of God has said about Christ. And the story is, it, it's complete in the word. We don't need a 67th book in the Bible. We don't. It's done and complete. But we know that there are things that haven't happened yet. What hasn't happened yet, saint, is you being face-to-face -face with your God. I can't wait to see Christ. Because I'm seeking him in the scriptures. I'm seeking him in prayer. But I'm not seeing him. Man, that day when you see him. Where you no longer have to pray. Where you no longer have to have faith. He's right there in front of you. I don't know about y'all, but this is how I survive. You should be of faith. 
for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God, as our text says. Seek the things that are above, saints. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. You should be seeking Christ, pursuing Christ, devoting your life to Christ, saint, because you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. Died here in our text there's a semantic range, another, I paid for that in seminary as well. <laughs> but the range can include that you realize the limits of your mortality. That you see your life as a vapor. Your life as very minuscule, like James 4, 13-14 talks about. When it comes to eternity, this life is vanity, short and quick. But the competing passions in our lives want us to believe that this is all there is. That whole YOLO thing, right? You only, uh, how you say that? <laughs> you, you only live once. You only live once. I'm, I'm, come on, man, I'm 47, dog. Like, I'm a little older here. You only live once. That's a lie. That's not true. We live for the life to come. And this life is so short. The competing passions of our lives seek to take our minds to fix on the temporal things and treat them as eternal. And to focus on the eternal things and treat them as temporal. Spiritual warfare takes place where our lives are being battled for. The passions of the flesh are at war against us. Taking us from the focus of, a, of the life to come. But since we have died to the elemental spirits of the world and its regulations, we have a different mentality, an otherworldly way of living. As J.C. Rowell said, affection is the real secret of a good memory and religion. No worldly man, he says, can think much about Christ unless Christ is pressed upon his notice because he has no affection for him. He says, the true Christian has thoughts about Christ every day that he lives for this one simple reason that he loves him. Yeah. Has Christ been pressed upon you to the point of noticing and having affections for him every day? This is what the world, the elemental spirits, the flesh attempt to take from us. But we should remember that we have died in Christ from these things. A dead man cannot respond. They cannot because they are dead. So much are they dead that the world considers the believer in Jesus Christ of no use. But saints, seek the things that are above. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. What does a life hidden in Christ look like? Hidden here can mean to keep from being seen, which would happen to those who are dead. In our lives, we are hidden from those who are perishing, who think they're alive. And I'm not going to church because you can't do nothing in church. Church is boring. How can you sit there and listen to a man for 40 minutes? That's insane. My life is hidden in Christ, in God. If that preacher is faithful in the preaching of his word, I need to eat from the word of God. I'm here to eat. I'm here to be nourished. I'm here to be strengthened. I need to hear about my God because I'm hidden in Christ. 
We are not hidden in that people cannot hear from us or not know that we are there. But when it comes to what they do, we cannot share in what they do. This is the part of the Christian life that they cannot understand. They cannot understand that apart from grace, this world has no hope. Where is the world going? What is the hope that can save humanity from itself? The answer is clear. It's that appearing where he will come in glory. That's what we look for, which is our last point, showing up with Christ in closing. Verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Notice that Paul tells them that Christ is their life. Is he? Christ is what is currently sustaining them. Christ is what they will be sustained by forever. Is he your life? You're not just being sustained, but also prepared. Prepared to appear with him in glory. This is what we need to do when we talk about seeking and setting our minds to Christ. Christ appearing in his glory. The splendor and the renown of Christ will be clearly demonstrated when he comes for his people. The glory has been exchanged, though, for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, and creeping things. We do that. The beauty of his worth is traded for temporal satisfaction. We've all fallen short of his glory. This glory is not worthy to be compared, however, to the sufferings we face today. On that day, saint, when Christ appears, we will be raised with him in glory and power. Yes. So seek and set your mind on the things above and be convinced by it. Live that way. Amen. We need to do a better job at guarding the beauty of the truth of his appearing because sometimes even in our church we debate, oh, when's he going to do that? <laughs> I'm pre-mill. I'm post-mill. Amil, yeah, I'll give a shout out to the Amils too. <laughs> we had these different eschatological views, right? Even in our church. But our church, doctrinally, were pre-mill. But that's okay for some of y'all who are all, and if you're post-mill, we got a chop. But <laughs> and if you don't know what that is, come to Systematic Theology at 4 o'clock. We'll break, break bread with you. But we need a better way of dealing with our eschatology. We're debating too much. We're not celebrating enough. Martin Lloyd-Jones said it this way, the great doctrine of the second advent has in a sense fallen into disrepute because of this tendency on the part of some to be more interested in the how and the when of the second coming rather than in the fact of the second coming. Yeah. <laughs> He's right. Bring your eschatological view. We're big enough. We'll, we'll deal with it. I'll prove you wrong. You know what I'm saying? We could debate. We could debate. But don't forget this. Christ is coming. And we long for that. Our lives are hidden in Christ now, but we will appear. We'll, we'll be revealed with Christ in glory. Our eschatology should produce in us a doxology, yeah. a response where we are in tune with our longing to be with Christ. 
This is the fuel to our seeking him and setting our minds on things that are above. The fuel being the hope and the glory that we will have when Christ appears. Jesus, come. This is why personal and corporate worship is essential. Personal worship is talked about in Romans 12.1. To be sacrificial. To, to be preoccupied with the will of God. What does God want from us? Corporate worship, Colossians 3, verses 12 to 16. Serving one another, forgiving one another, loving one another. Our lives are hidden in Christ, in God. We are to come together and worship the Lord, seeking and setting our minds on Christ together. So that we together can encourage one another as the day of his appearing draws near. As Hebrews 10, 24 to 25 says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of son, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Yeah. Are you convinced? If not, then maybe that is why you cannot find what you need. Maybe this is where your passive involvement in the things of God come from. A life of seeking and setting comes from a heart that is convinced that Christ is coming. Hebrews 9.28 tells us, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Are we eager and eagerly waiting for Christ? Saints, I want to press upon you today to keep your thoughts, your heart, and your life there, eager to be with Christ. Be there. Eagerly waiting for the Lord of glory to come and save us from our present circumstances. If you have been raised together with Christ, Christ alone fellowship, then seek the things that are above and set your minds on things of above where Christ is. Keep your head in the clouds. Keep it there so you can survive here. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Help us, Lord, with understanding our text today. That we will seek you, seek you, our Messiah, our Redeemer. Help us to set our minds on you. Help us to rejoice in the fact that we will be with you forever. Give us that hope.